Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 191, The Drowned Man in a Feast for Crows. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Wow. This is... What a quick sprint. This has been a quick sprint with Aaron Greyjoy. Yeah, it's the King's Mood. I think I like mistakenly was like, did we see her before? But I guess it was just like in the memories and stuff of other characters. Obviously, here it is. You did say that last week, and I didn't want to be a bitch and be like, you technically the next. I should've. <laughs> you should have just done it. I'm keeping all this in. 191 episodes, and we're still learning, folks. Mm. That's what we want you to take from this. Welcome back to the only podcast out there that frequently says fuck while covering POVs from A Song of Ice and Fire, POV by POV character. Did you mean F-bombs? Thank you to the person. I'm so sorry, I can't remember who left that comment anymore, who's like, I like this podcast because one girl drops F-bombs like no other. It made us question our entire friendship for at least four weeks. Which one of us is it? We know which fucking one it is. Do we? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> huh. Well, we've got a lot popping off now that Eliana has graced us with her presence. And here's what's happening. We're joining our good friends, A Thousand Eyes and One, on their channel on June 20th to talk about everyone's dreaded favorite topic, The Red Wedding. Yeah, we're joining them for their live stream 30 Tuesday series. We'll put a link to their channel in the show notes so please make sure to subscribe to them and check them out we had them on i think you all will remember we had them on for uh one of the late brand chapters i think it was dance brand three uh I'm, it's not that i don't remember them coming on it's that i don't remember all the brand numbers <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a blast we actually got to hang out with them in new york a bit ago which was oh so my fun. god that was oh god that was so fun i haven't had i hadn't had a fun night like that in yeah in a long time I felt young again. They made me feel so young. Yeah, they really did. They were full of mischief. (laughs) Full of mischief. Those ladies rock. And I'm excited to hang with them for the Red Wedding. Yeah, the Red Wedding is going to be a blast because it's going to be these equal parts of disgust and horror and sadness and also equal parts hilarity. And I have to shout it out that somehow we found a way to be involved with the Red Wedding during Nauticast's Red Wedding Month. Not a oh, cast yeah? is covering the Red Wedding all month. It's all Red Wedding in this household right now. Everything is Red Wedding all the time. So, yeah, get your Red Wedding on. Really embrace the horror of it all. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm excited because I would not, you know, I would not relive that pain for just anyone. <laughs> so, uh, and, and there's more horror to come. Yeah, more horror this month. That's not the only live thing that we have going on this month. Not the only horror either. We actually have some really exciting stuff coming up for patrons, right? Our patrons over in several of the tiers at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon get special access to a couple of things. First off, bonus episodes. So if you're ready for horror, get ready for The Forsaken. Stranger tier and above, five bucks and up, get access to The Forsaken in the Winds of Winter, where Aaron Greyjoy continues his story after the Drowned Man in a Feast for Crows. Excited to cover that with you, Eliana, who you have a pretty exciting story about that that I'm sure you'll tell us then or now. 
I I will tell it any time anyone asks me. Uh That is part of the horror of the Forsaken, in which you are all trapped in this Sisyphusian nightmare, which I totally fucked up saying, (laughs) which I tell you all the time about how I was there when George read the Forsaken a lot for the first time. She was, folks. She was. And if that wasn't, you know... Horrific and exciting enough. horror <laughs> for you to be holding. Why not try out our Patreon in the Thunder Tier and above, where you get access to our private Discord server with fun channels like Respectful Thirsting, Food is Good, The Good Show, The Bad Show, you have to guess what that means, and uh, many, many, many more. But the horror there, uh, the live horror, is that you also get a chance to hang out with us once a month. If you're on that Discord. Yes, that is that is among the horrors that occur in the <laughs> Discord, where once a month we have our brunch slash happy hour, and this month it is going to be on Sunday, June 25th, 3 p.m. ET. Eliana time. Actually, Eli- though, this time. I look forward to our brunch every month, our brunch slash happy hour. I enjoy it. I enjoy hanging with the people. Chatting about the shows. Previously, the last few brunches have been succession-focused, which just finished up. And, you know, the following brunches, who knows, maybe they'll get Sailor Moon-focused as we get back to Sailor Moon and A Song of Ice and Fire. They're always Aeswaf-focused. Let's be real. Yeah, it always- all roads lead back to Aeswaf, you know? For The same castle. <laughs> yes. Uh, but not the same moon, that'd be impossible. <laughs> Eliana, it has come to the end of the road. (laughs) Okay, not yet, but soon. For Erin Greyjoy, at least for the published chapters of Erin Greyjoy and Aeswaf. And do you know what happens when we reach the end of the road for a character in A Song of Ice and Fire when there's nothing left to cover for them? Well, you have to set yourself on fire. Yeah, you do have to set yourself on fire. So, we talked about the Red Wedding earlier and how, you know, we're we're reprising it one more time, but let's talk about something else that's red. It's red and terrible and red. Hmm, what could that be? It's just red around the corner. Ain't that right, Chloe? Yeah, a lot of people don't really like when we have commentary on rhetoric, but I rather do, and I have commentary on this rhetoric. Eliana, we've really held out on this one for a while, but... It's time for us to cover Melisandre next. Her one-off, one chapter, her one and done. Not a one-hit wonder, we hope, right? We hope to hear more hits for Melisandre in The Winds of Winter, but I look forward to covering Melisandre in A Dance with Dragons. Melisandre won with you. Yes, I agree. I agree. I can't wait to cover Melisandre, and you should keep your eyes and ears peeled to hear that episode out in July. So we will be taking a week off in June, but you'll hear us come back hopefully at the end of the month with Sailor Moon, season two of Sailor Moon Crystal, which I'm very excited for Magical Girls Gone Canon to return, hopefully with our friend Chica with us to talk about the episodes in season two. Uh, It's a lot of Magical Girls. You know, coming up soon, right? We got Magical Girl Melisandre, mm-hmm, Magical mm-hmm. Girl Usagi, and 
Ooh, yeah, Melisandre's I mean, transformation, though. Kind of, actually, though. Um, and I don't know. I'm I'm excited because I I'm telling y'all like the reading order makes sense. Okay, the reading order it it makes sense. I need you all to There's trust no the process. Trust the process. There's no twist except for when Chloe misleads her patrons, and I and I'm like, yes, yes, go, <laughs> <laughs> cheering her on. But because um, you know, we are still getting back in the groove of things. Chloe and I want to spend a little time together, and by that I mean. You might be expecting another, like, sort of buffer episode in which Chloe and I just talk about some of the things that we've been doing, a sort of quarterly report. You know, it is it is month six of this fiscal year. We're halfway oh through this fiscal year, but it's not the fiscal year, just this year, because the fiscal year starts in April, so whatever. Q1, Q1 report. Q1 fiscal year 20. Four twenty three. You explain this to me, Chloe, at some point, and yeah, we're gonna give that report out. Girl's boss gone canon. Wow. Oh my god. Wow. Well, as always, thank you for listening in. Thank you for supporting us. Especially a big thank you to our patrons and friends over at Patreon. And let's jump into the drowned van now that you've gotten all of the updates. And the first way I think we should jump in. Is with a storm god round. I mean, a lightning oh. round. Oh, shun the non-believer. Shun, <laughs> Candy shun. Mountain, Charlie. Charlie. <sighs> we start our lightning round with the captain of guards. Dorn craves vengeance, but Doran holds to his patience. Ooh. The Kraken's daughter, Queen Asha, prepares for the Queen's boot at Ten Towers. The Soiled Knight. Oh, I'm getting all my faves. Sir Ares O'Cart visits his favorite princess. Guilt-stricken, he agrees to do a little treason as a treat. Just some light treason. A little treat. <laughs> snack snack. He's a little oh. snack, though, you know? Yeah, yeah. We love a himbo. Absolutely. Gets a little chop there at the end. So that brings us then to the Iron Captain. Which, as many of you might remember, we, we did this a bit ago. Balin was mad, Aaron is madder, and Euron is maddest of them all. And Asha's perfect. <laughs> Hallelujah, sister. Yeah, that throws us on into the drowned man in a feast for crows. Welcome to the queen's moot. I mean, king's moot. I mean, this is a biased statement, I'm sorry. Crow's moot? No, it, get out of here. It's not a crow's mute. What oh, if God. we really did just crown a bird? That'd be fun. Bird! Once he's become comfortably numb from the cold, Aaron struggles back to the shore. He ran from the crow's eye, but the water reminded him he was a new man now, not that weak man. Yeah, so we get a lot of that language of rebirth, which we've talked about throughout our different POVs before, this idea of resurrection and being a different person, in baptism, of course, in Aaron's story, and in other characters. And I think you can kind of see that also play out in Aaron's story in the way that like he's constantly rebirthing himself, right? Reinventing himself. Each of his chapters have a different title. You have the prophet, the drowned man, the forsaken, trying on all of these different identities. And religion is such a core part, as we 
have discussed of Aaron's identity, that faith, which is part of why we thought Melisandre would be a great follow-up. But I think someone else that I really see as similar to Aaron is Lancel. I think mm. Lancel is someone who also was victimized sexually, right? Was a, you know, some people, not everyone agrees, but I think there is an argument to be made that, like, Cersei did take advantage of him in his youth um, in regards to that incest and power structures, and it did really hurt him. And then he ends up turning to religion as a way to sort of, I think, find his identity again through it. To find purpose. Yeah. Yeah. To find a reason to fucking go on, dude. Yeah, that's... Uh, especially with that weird connection between Lannisport and between oh, yeah, the Iron right. Islands, you know, with him having been a prisoner of the Westerlands. And when I think of kind of areas of Westeros that interact the most with the Iron Islands, I think obviously of the North, where they reeve often, but also, mm. yeah, the the Westerlands are a really common place for the Iron Islanders. I like what you've called out here about rebirth. Very Kendall Roy of you. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Kendall Roy, Aaron. Aaron Kendall Roy. <laughs> trying to run into the water. Wow. Wow. No mortal man could frighten him, no more than the darkness could, nor the bones of his soul, the gray and grisly bones of his soul, the sound of a door opening, the scream of a rusted iron hinge. Oh, chilling. And it's such a great intro to a beautiful chapter. I have to say that this chapter's prose and some of the gorgeous scenery described and the world building going on in the lore, it, it, I don't know, I don't think I can even do it justice. Like, this is a great reread, this chapter. I've cut out so much in this outline of moments from the chapter that should have been kept in. Like, I know maybe some people might listen to us as a reread podcast. This is one I think you should reread because... It does so much to bring the drowned god, the beliefs of the Iron Men, their culture, uh, just understanding them as a people. It brings it in front of yeah. your eyes, and they become so dimensional in this chapter, right? They're, they're not just flat, comic, cartoon, make America great again, guys. They're way more dimensional than that. And I think there's a lot of kind of ruckus of, you know, Dorne and the Iron Islands take up space. In a feast mm. for crows, and it's space that we're not with, and the pacing doesn't work. But I don't agree with that, and I think this chapter alone buys its space and more. I mean, this chapter really fucks. This chapter fucks. It's a pivotal chapter too. Like not only as you said, right? There's great world building, and it does come really together with showing how the king's mood ends up going the way that it does. It, mm -hmm. it all comes together, and. This part, though, I think is funny in terms of the imagery. I like they they talk later about unfurling the flag behind Victorian, and then I just hear like you know <laughs> horns, like but not that kind of horn, like behind Victorian. That imagery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron, I don't know, should wash his clothes. His robes are stiff with salt. The wool is clinging to his chest, and he fills his water skin and strides across the strand toward a drowned man, murmuring his name. He puts his hand on this man's head, blesses him, and moves along, listening to the waves, to the tireless sea, which he hopes to be like 
That man needs antibiotics. <laughs> Honestly? Well, I don't know. Does the seawater disinfect? Sometimes I'm like, does it? But then also I'm like, I don't know. All the fishes like pee and poo in there and I die. Know. I don't know, Eliana. I just there. know that man needs a shower. Maybe a band-aid. I don't would he let you give him a shower? I think he'd penicillin. Like, well, no no fresh water for me. Fuck. He knows one medical activity and it's CPR. <sighs> Aaron reaches Naga's bones, 44 ribs from the earth. Naga was the first sea dragon. She ate krakens and leviathans and drowned whole islands, but the Grey King had slain her, and her ribs became the beams and pillars of his long haul. His jaws became his throne, and he ruled stone and salt from here, wearing a crown of Naga's teeth. The hall was warmed by Naga's living fire, which the Grey Kang made his thrall. The hall decorated with silver seaweed, thrones carved from Mother of Pearl. Now, men were lesser. Smaller, with shorter lives. The storm god drowned Naga's fire after the Grey Kang died. The tapestries, chairs, thrones, all lost or stolen to the sea. The roofs and walls rotted. So, I guess Naga ate... Whales and calamari all the time is what it sounds like. Mm, um, me too. Okay, we don't have to spend too long on this, but what do you think about Naga? Like, do you think that she was, in fact, like the first sea dragon, or do you think she was a dragon who happened to like live by the sea? Especially because like all these other things are missing, and I'm like, what, what, what about the fire part? What do you think? Yeah, we talked a little bit in Victorian chapters, right, as this came up, and. Oh, it I definitely forgot. feels that was no, it's so okay. long ago. <laughs> I can recap for you. It, it there's a couple things at play here. Like it reminds me a little bit of Daenerys, right? As the last dragon with that big yeah, yeah. kind of historical position as she is the last dragon. The last of the dragons. But it definitely felt very Nisa Nisa to me. Right? Like it felt very much like another Nisa Nisa piece of legend or lore. Whether this yeah. was true or not. It felt like maybe even a translation of the Nisa Nisa legend. That's true. Yeah, I see that. Especially because what? She provided them a bunch of stuff. She's like, I don't know. She was like, if the giving tree were a dragon. Yeah. It's Gaia. It's Mother Earth. It's Gaia. It's kind of a creation myth, right? Yeah. An ironborn creation myth. But actually, it literally is a creation myth of the Ironborn. That's absolutely true. Like, it's their creation myth for their culture. Because interestingly, there aren't that many creation myths, I think, in A Song of Ice and Fire. There's like, I don't know, maybe we're all- Moon is an egg. That's like the only one that I can really think of. Other than we maybe live in the eye of a giant. Oh, like a simulation. Yeah, there. That's one of them. Like that. We the Wachowski like, sisters. Eye. Good. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking the little marble inside. What is it? Frank's like collar. I forgot what it was in Men in Black. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is like Eamon's eye. You did it. Yes. <laughs> or Macumba. Um. Well, what but, do you think about Naga? Well, in regards to it being a creation myth. Well, I, I, I told you what I think in regards to like, is it a dragon? But in regards to it being a, a creation myth, it really makes it clear like no wonder why the ironborn voted for euron at the king's mood it really shows you their cultural narratives about their heroes and their kings who just they just plunder they only care about riches right like you know to germ about it for a moment right like where 
do we hear any of the legends about the lives, like, and how, you know, the Grey King made shit better, right? Like, what was his tax policy? We don't know. All we know about what he did for the people was that, I mean, we don't know what he did for the people, only that the warriors got to feast at lavish tables inlaid with pearl, right? And, like, that makes sense because none of what Asha promises at the King's Moot is, it's, none of it is baked into the cultural values of the Ironborn. This is the kind of story that's passed down all this time. Like, there's nothing about whether the Grey King's reign was a time of prosperity for everyone. Were the crops watered? Not that there are any crops here, apparently. Were the people fed in full? I don't know. Was was there justice? Was he clever? Like, Land the Clever? Literally none of that, like, Nothing even of, like, seeking freedom, like how with the Roinars, you know, and, and Dorne. Like, that's part of their kind of cultural creation myth with Nymeria, right? Or saving people's lives. All that this is about is how fucking rich we were back then. And you're right. That's exactly why Euron embraces that and wins. And they're so stupid not to have seen it that that's what mattered right there. Oh, you're the so fucking stupid gold. to have seen it. <laughs> to have not so seen it. Sorry. So stupid not to have seen I say that every day in my real life. Oh, you're so clever to. to have seen it. I say it to, you my say it to me all the time. You say it to oh, me a lot. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's so true. You're so clever of to have seen it. Sometimes I change it. Sometimes I put it to like normal talk of like, oh, honestly, you're so smart to have noticed that or called that out. Wait a second. You just rephrase that's, it. I'm pretty sure I said that I this just podcast. It. Anyways, so here's the remix to Naga's Bones. So Naga's Bones. All this time have endured. It is enough, Aaron thinks. He hears the power of God below the waves and decides to pray. He prays God's people will receive the wisdom to choose the rightful true king and shun the false. He prays all night, needing no sleep, and in the morning when colors stole into the world. Ooh, I love that line, George, how dare you? When colors stole into the world, he stood to behold the king's mood. So, me, walking back all the stuff I said at the end of last episode about Aaron being Moses last time. Though, I don't know. I mean, maybe some of it is still, like, kind of holds true from the analysis point of view. But also here, I'm now coming back to the other side, right, of, like, maybe he is Aaron, brother of Moses, the other, the priest, in that he did kind of lead everyone on the Iron Islands to erect a false idol um, the golden calf of Euron, even though he definitely did not intend to do that, and that is not what he wanted to do at all. But but he did it, right? Especially, mm-hmm. like, the language here of everyone leaving their homes to come here, kind of like an exodus. I love that, especially when you consider his dream, right, of the Ironborn oh, yeah. attacking the land, and it's almost an exodus of itself, but of war. But- yeah. That's interesting, too, actually, now that I think about it in the context of the Horns and Jericho, which was, like, you know, mm-hmm. the end place. They're kind of where they got to, and they were like, we're going to take the city with Horns. There's a lot of biblical shit in the Ironborn is really what I'm seeing, like, more and more. Mm-hmm. A lot of biblical shit. It's funny, because you'd think the Seven is very 1-1 when it comes to Catholicism or some of George's, you know, past with religion. But the Ironborn are more deep about it and really into kind of I mean, that's what's fucking beautiful about Catholicism, right? It's like, Catholics, yeah, we crazy. I was raised Catholic, ex-Catholic, recovering Catholic. But, like, also, like, it's all about the ritual. And it's all about that prominence and that, like, it's important we do this thing. We behold it so highly. And, you know, the incense swinging 
and the entire chamber and the singing and the music and the the prayer and it's just like it's a whole thing and the ironborn actually really care about that shit like they care about that ritual it's interesting because i don't know if they care about the ritual so much as like the guilt <laughs> the being seen with the ritual yeah the the, the... Well, yeah catholicism exactly what i'm saying being seen <laughs> doing the ritual like no mm. one cares about the ritual it's doing the ritual so other people see you doing it Mm-mm. it becomes important by that i mean my god if you don't go up and take the my eucharist god yours too yeah <laughs> yeah then they're like wait what do you mean you didn't during the inquisition where they be like i didn't even see them look up at the eucharist heathen kill <laughs> fake so the silver fish of botley the bloody moon of winch the dark green trees of orkwood warhorns leviathans scythes Everywhere krakens, great and gold, thralls and salt wives gutting fish to prepare breakfast for the captains of the kings, and men wake, drinking deep from horns. The sea stirs too, waves crashing on the long ships. The drowned god wakes, thought Aaron. It's like the drowned god was saying, no godless man will sit my sea stone chair. <laughs> <laughs> Rip. The drowned men beat driftwood cudgels against one another as they head down the hill, and kettle drums are beat as well. Boom, 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 boom. A war horn <laughs> bellowed. Then another. Ah! I wasn't sure what direction you were going to go with that. Like, was it going to sound like a wolf? Because that's Thank like. Thank you. I wanted to be spelling. a horn. Did I do the yeah, horn? Did I, I... I think you did. You did. Thank you. Like a foghorn, you know? Resounding. Maybe add a little echo and post on there, you know, really. Something about the John Gond wigs. I don't know why it makes me think of that Lovecraftian shit, like Bulu sleeps in really a... I'm butchering those pronunciations. I know that you're supposed to say them like all like you're hawking a loogie. So the, the beating of the driftwood cudgels... It's described as the sound of trees pummeling each other with their limbs. And that also kind of makes me think of like the old gods, I guess, fighting each other. Also Groot. But also like does make me think of like is George kind of channeling a little bit of the Ents, right? From Lord of the Rings. Like Entspiration. Oh my god. No, I, I'm... <laughs> Usually I like to like look down on the things you say about Lord of the Rings since I'm a Lord of the Rings reader and you're not. I'm a Shelly. Oh, <laughs> my God. Since I'm you're Gollum. unsullied and I'm not. I'm Gollum coated. Uh, you are. You are Gollum coated, you little rat. I don't have time to expand on all that. But yeah. Oh, I actually, know. yes, there's a lot of Lord of the Rings in this chapter. I'm actually going to call something out soon enough. So stay oh, tuned. Interesting. Yeah, buckle up, cowgirl. Everyone congregates at the bones of the hall. Aaron sees cheerful Sigri Stone Tree, Andric the Unsmiling, the Knight, Sir Harris Harlaw, Lord Sexy Motherfucker Baylor Blacktide, and his sable cloak stood beside the stone house in ragged sealskin. Yeah, so we have a real mix of people here at the King's Mood, and I guess a lot of them don't get a fucking vote. I don't know. Maybe if they shot loud enough, who will know? Who will know? But you got thralls, you got salt lives as well, right? Um... And then Aaron calls out how you have like the Ironborn who are too influenced by the green lands and they got maesters and singers and knights. So again, it it's really hitting home for me 
during these Aaron chapters of how the Ironborn are at this inflection point, and it's not as homogenous as its most traditional members, <coughs> the Greyjoy men, would have you think. Amongst them is Victorian, who who's looming above everyone in his full armor, allegedly looking very kingly, and that kind of reminds me a little bit of like John in a Game of Thrones, seeing Jamie and being like, "Wow, that's what a king looks like," and it also makes me think again of like you know people who look like kings, right, but then end up not becoming, I don't know, they do and they don't king, like the Dance Civil War or like the Blackfire Civil War with Black Damon Blackfire, or you know the upcoming Second Dance with. Aegon having all the trappings of power, right? Or also, like, you know, in regards to falling and then doubting just because someone looks like a warrior, even though I guess Victorian really is a warrior. But I would argue so is Asha. Euron, interestingly, I don't actually think he's a warrior. Agreed. He buys his warriors, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that man knows how to fight. He's got little finger, but on bath salts vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron gives a speech, a rousing speech, get ready. <laughs> a rousing? We were born from the sea, and to the sea we all return. The storm god in his wrath plucked Balin from his castle and cast him down. Yet now he feasts beneath the waves and the drowned god's watery halls. Balin! is dead the iron king is dead the king is dead yet what is dead may never die but rises again harder and stronger balin has fallen balin my brother who honored the old way and paid the iron price balin the brave balin the blessed balin twice crowned who won us back our freedoms and our god. Balin is dead, but an Iron King shall rise again to sit upon the sea stone chair and rule the isles. A king shall rise, he shall rise. He shall, he must. But who? Who shall sit in Balin's place? Who shall rule these holy isles? Is he here among us now? Love that he calls out the he of that, by the way, like already automatically disqualifying Asha before she can speak. He. Is he here? The king? Yep. And that really comes through this chapter, and he really just does not like women. I mean, nothing. No part of his life actually has has to do with anything with them. True. Who is calling Balin these things? Like no one. You made those nicknames up. There's an interesting rhyming, I think, with Balin twice crowned, and then the others. Like you, you were talking about like the thrice drowned thing last mm-hmm. last chapter. Also, when they say like Iron King, I think that's kind of funny because like there is like an actual Iron Throne, but I assume this is more of George just being really into the Accursed King series. And I just think it's kind of funny, the whole, like, the king is dead, long live the king, you know, kind of vibe going on there. Also, a seagull, like, apparently squawks in response. Speaking of the imagery, this is also a very oral chapter, a lot of, like, audio stuff going on. And I'm not sure if I'm supposed to feel in awe, like, oh my god, a seagull squawked in response. Like, I think it would be very cool if it were a hawk, but not a seagull. Feels like rats with wings by the sea. But, um... (laughs) 
<laughs> Rats with wings. You know, we've been watching, uh, well, we watch Always Sunny all the time. And the new mm-hmm. season's great so far. But Always Sunny is like, to me, that's the Victorian brothers. <laughs> the Victorian brothers. The Grey Dry brothers. Always Sunny is the Grey Dry brothers with like, Sweet Tea is Asha. You know, like, that's really the... That. That's a sweet spot. Rats with wings by the sea. I see that. Aaron asks who will be their king, wondering if Euron's impatience will have him speak first. But instead comes Gilbert Farwind of Lonely Light, who Aaron thinks are a queer folk, holding lands on the western shores of Great Wick and the Isles beyond. It was an eight days sail through seals, sea lions, and gray oceans. Some say the far winds were skin changers, able to take the form of sea lions, walruses, spotted whales, and sea wolves. Interesting. I did think that was interesting. Like, first of all, anyone who has ever participated in a public event, like, where there's voting by public cheering knows that this is literally the worst way to determine the winner. Aaron is right. Whoever goes last wins. It's bullshit. That's why after you pick the last person, you have to come back around to some of the other people, you know, just to be sure. Um, the whole thing about the far winds, I, I know a lot of other people have talked about this already and analyzed them in the context of Selkies and Kelpies, but it does sound like that, you know, the skin changing, especially in regards to seals and walruses. But also that they might be like sea wolves and maybe whales. It harkens back a little bit to, I think, Inuit folklore, right? With the Aklut, um, which is an orca wolf composite. They're wolves on land, wolf orca, hybrid in water, you know, wolf in the sheets, whale in the streets. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do know how that goes. I do. No, actually, though, I-, I think there's something in like the Selkies and the Kelpies and something going on with the Farwinds, right? Because even in his speech, uh, of all of the non-Greyjoys, he's the only one making somewhat sense, but not even that much yeah. sense, but somewhat, which says a lot. And Farwin claims he's going to build 10,000 ships like Nymeria did and sail their people beyond the sunset, where everyone will be a king and a queen, and his men spill offerings of seal skins and walrus tusks and whalebone arm rings, war horns, banded in bronze. Lesser men start to help themselves to the gifts that are spilled. This is kind of a recurring theme across the king's moot slash queen's moot. Eren thinks his eyes are mad. Fool's eyes, a vision created by the storm god to lure the ironborn to destruction. I wanted to point out something. The irony in his name, right, being Farwind. So, okay, a little 1-1 there. Farwind. He wants the winds to take him and his men (laughs) far away west, beyond what they know, right? Like Nymeria did with her people to Dorne. Sail his people beyond the west, that flat, flat, flat earth that they live on, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And... I gotta say, I think this is kind of the early seeds of George playing with Alyssa Farman Mm. in Fire and Blood, because you have Farwind here at Lonely Light, the far west moment of the Iron Islands. Farwind versus Far Man. So you have men going far, Far Man, and Far Wind, wind taking man far. Clever, right? Very clever wordplay there. And... I don't know, there's something great about Lonely Light's isolation out in the West, away from the Ironborn, kind of, right? Like, it's it's the last, the last call, 
as you go west. I'm sure Alyssa Farman went by that before. I'm sure. Ooh, I'm yeah, sure. I, I like that, that she probably like had to stop by there on her travels or something. Yeah. That's and, the yeah. last light. It's like the high tower in a way. It's, it's the high tower out there in the west of the water. It's the last thing you see before you keep going. Yeah, and refuel. Maybe some went on the same trip as well. We're like, they're like, mm-hmm. that sounds cool. That sounds like a fun trip. Yeah, I like, I like what you're saying. Of, I think there is some gardening here. Those seeds. And, I mean, speaking of lonely lights, Alyssa Farman. I don't know. I don't know if I can say that she was lonely or not, but um, her ex was. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Raina. She ran off. Yeah, after she ran off with those dragon's eggs. Well, honestly, the Farwins. Technically, what the Farwins are offering is not that different than Euron's. It's just, you know, no vision. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not great that they were like, let's go make, let's go like conquest, colonize this place. You can say colonize. We don't know. I don't know if they have that kind of uh, capacity. Yeah. But similar, but no one has vision. Anyways, only a select amount of the Farwins and their supporters cheered, and a lonely gull screams above them. See, the gull is sad. Uh, next comes that was the goal. Goal. Mine, mine. Next comes Eric Ironmaker. He's ninety years old. He's heavy, cloaked in white bearskin. His grandson struggled to carry him up the steps, but they set him down all the same. And he argues that he is Eric the Just, Eric the Anvil Breaker, and asks one of his champions to raise his hammer for them to see. Man, that many names, you know? You really know you made it if you have that many names. Yeah. Yeah. For real, though. A monstrous thing it was. It's haft wrapped in old leather. This is the hammer, by the way, not his cock. (laughs) It's haft wrapped in old leather. It's head. A brick of steel as large as a loaf of bread. Eric's hammer. What kind of bread? (laughs) Bread comes in different sizes, George. Have you never seen a bread? Okay. Anyways. (laughs) So the chapter starts, again, with that story of Naga's Bones and the Great King from the Age of Heroes and, like, how that, how the Age of Heroes for the Ironborn is just very gone, right? Uh, They're just still, like, clinging on to this glory of people from the legends of thousands of years ago. But, I mean, Westeros actually kind of had its own legends, right? Just a few decades ago... As Bran and Sansa show us and how they like recite all this stuff about the Knights of the Kingsguard, like of the modern Kingsguard and just the generation before, and of course the legends of King Robert. And I as the text says, like Eric is someone who really could have been king sixty years ago. Aaron really believes that. And I mean, he's the kind of king, kind of warrior like guy, right? Like who's seen as just and strong and booming, charismatic, with a hammer. And a good name. He's the kind of man that you would king years ago. Just like maybe you would king someone like, oh, Robert Baratheon a few years ago. He's the kind of king for a different time, but not for right now. Like, they're a dying breed past their prime. Not just in body, but in in cultural value. Yeah, like not at age 90. Not at age 90. Not when you're, I mean, whatever the fuck Robert Baratheon was going through. There's something interesting, too, about, like, showcasing his children against him and how his kids help him carry him up. Almost like Walder Frey, right? He has a litter. Mm. He has his own litter. 
Why aren't any of his kids running for king, you know? This is some Logan Roy shit. Because he's not dead yet, dude. <laughs> Succession. Eric recounts smashing many thieves' hands with his hammer, some Stannis shit, crushing many with his anvil and his deeds, but he's old and strong and has plenty of heirs. His grandsons and great-grandsons take up the call, cheering him, dumping silver, bronze, steel arm rings, collars, daggers, dirks, throwing axes at the base of the bones where they are snatched up by a few captains. I think you should do this. Asha shouts his name, stepping up against the lowest step as the wind and waves break about them, and she tells Eric to stand up. She says, stand the fuck up, Eric. Maybe then she would follow him if he only stood up. Man the fuck up. Ma'am up, Eric, is what (laughs) Asha shouts. Ma'am up. And he struggles. He can't ma'am up, not on his own, and Euron kind of laughs at him. Eric calls out interrupting and says who shall be king let us move past this embarrassment basically is what he says i do Plainly, feel bad for him. eric i mean why are you propping up this 90 year old and I, I don't have time for that conversation but why are you you know like why are you propping him up like i want the kind of confidence eric has you know in gilbert all these people who are just like mm, i'm just i'm just me i want to believe in myself the way that they believe in their in themselves and here is where Eric has made a punishment for Asha, right? For both mm. of them. Um, fulfilling a whim for control over Eric's support. I mean, every person that had the balls to step the fuck up during this and try to be king that wasn't a Greyjoy, Euron is taking notes. He has a whole notepad scrawled of like, all right, kill Ooh. this person, steal this person, do this from this person. Eric is one of them. He had decent support. And for him to bend to Euron, there had to have probably been some certain thumbs-ups going back and forth on deals of what he gets for supporting Euron. To embarrass and humiliate Asha specifically, though, I mean, she humiliated him here in front of everyone. And Euron has to reward Eric for his support as one of the most respected of the islands, so Euron gets to choose to humiliate them both, both Eric and Asha, not just Asha. That's a great point. I, I never realized that, that in, in raising and, you know, respecting Eric, it kind of shows how it's that sort of, like, political move against Asha. Interesting. It's a very political chapter, actually. actually. Uh, is it? Yeah. The election? I think so. I think so. America mm-hmm. does decide in this episode. <laughs> America decides. Uh, New Selena, no. There's this great bit next where the Merlin, we talked about the Merlin last episode, and I just want to say, I didn't just imagine it. Last episode, I mentioned that he was like an Iron Islands Wyman Manderly. Do you remember this mm-hmm. line that I yes, said to you? Yes, yes. I used this on you, this line that I used on you. That's how I feel every week. I'm like, I use these lines on Eliana. So here, the Merlin calls for Victorian to, quote, make his claim and be done with the mummer's farce. I told you, he's just Wyman Manderly, dude. Yep. In he his is. Velvets and Mur outfits. Mur outfits. As Mur outfits. Victorian interrupts him and he's like, I'll make my claim when I'm ready. And Aaron is like, Good, good. It's better that he waits. It's better that he waits. And I love how this is kind of a performance under the kettle, right? That everything's simmering. It's like it's all important about where you poke and prod and where you let things peak. 
how you keep things moving in this performance. It's a total political performance. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. No wonder people are annoyed. I'd be. I'd be annoyed if I were in Portland. I'd be like, just. <laughs> it's just. Why are we here? Get it done with. So next comes House Drum's claim. Climbing the hill on his two legs with his Valyrian sword, Red Rain, upon his hip. His champions were his sons, their good fighters, Dennis and Donnell. And between them is Andric the Unsmiling, with arms thick as trees. It spoke well of Drum to have a man like him standing for him. And he gives a speech asking, where is it written that a kraken must be the one ruling him? And reminds them that it is Great Wick that is the largest isle, Harlaw is the richest, and Old Wick is the most holy drum speaks of history he says the black line was consumed by dragon fire and the ironborn gave the primacy to vicken Greyjoy, but as lord not of the king he speaks on red rain's history the sword and how it passed hands for hands 800 years through many battles when he's called though to spill the contents of his champion's chest he spills out bronze upon bronze, which everyone is like, that is a cheapskate move. That Boo. is cheap. None of us actually Boo. like you. Yep, the cheers die down. He's a cheap bitch. And Aaron feels that. Aaron feels the crowd fizzle out. And he gets kind of back into hype mode, trying to get Victorian to get the crowd going again. And so he goads them a little. He's kind of like an MC at a stand-up comedy show on a Tuesday night. You know, it's not really great, but what else are you going to do? So, or, an, or a wrestling gig. Maybe he's emceeing a wrestling gig. And he's like, nine sons left the wombs, but only <laughs> one was strong enough to kick eternal ironborn ass. Who shall it be? And Victorian Greyjoy up. makes eye contact. And he nods and he comes over and he's blessed by Aaron at the water, which is a great political move for those looking to become the king of the ironborn. And Vic and his men stand strong. Ralph the Limper, Red Ralph Stonehouse, Newt the Barber. Stonehouse unfurls the Greyjoy banner, guerrilla radio style, and the captains and kings all shout Victorian's name. Victorian waited till they quieted, then said, You all know me. If you want sweet words, look elsewhere. I have no singer's tongue. I have an axe. And I have these! He raised his huge mailed hands up to show them. And Newt the barber displayed his axe, a fearsome piece of steel. I was a loyal brother. When Balin was wed, it was me he sent to Harlaw to bring him back his bride. I led his long shifts into many a battle and never lost but one. The first time Balin took a crown, it was me. Sailed into Lannisport to singe the lion's tail. The second time, it was me. He sent to skin the young wolf should he come howling home. All you'll get from me is more of what you got from Balin. That's all I have to say. With that, his champions began to chant, Victorian! Victorian! Victorian <laughs> King! Victorian king! Below, his men were spilling out his chests, a cascade of silver, golden gems, a wealth of plunder. Captains scrambled to seize the richest pieces, shouting as they did so, Victorian! 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 Victorian king! Yeah, 
I find him in this chapter so interesting after we covered him. Like, he's very tough, a great political figure. He's not very emotional, which is good. They like that. Uh, Strong. The most popular candidate, right? You have Asha, Euron, and him, and those are your main three. It makes it obvious that the first few candidates are there to just validate the whole. Those candidates that are there in the beginning are just there to validate the whole process, right? And let democracy feel real because Victorian has great backing at the King's Moot. And you think about his internal dialogue that we get in his various chapters, his insecurities. None of that is bleeding through here. He's the man's Iron Man man. He comes forth with a strong presence and as a popular candidate for the chair. And I think this confidence in his place and his masculinity is so interesting in his supporters. It it makes for this huge fall for Asha coming up here, Mm. right? Like it really, it really makes the fall that much easier for her. And I do want to also point out, I love this line. He brought Alanis from Harlaw to the Iron Islands to wed Balin, much like Euron is now asking him to bring his bride to be back to Westeros. That's a great point. I forgot. I forgot that parallel. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, you know, like he's got, like you said, he's got the backing, right? Drum didn't have that super pack, but I mean, Victoria's the <laughs> establishment candidate, you know. Boom, ba doom, boom, boom, ba doom, boom, baby. <gasps> Aaron watches Euron, wondering if he'll speak now or wait. But Euron's not the one who puts an end to this. It's Asha. She whistles and cuts through the crowd, pushing past. And I think it's really telling how this wording comes through in Aaron's interiority. It goes like, but it was not Euron who put an end to the shouting. It was the woman. And I imagine like it in the same tone as like when Shifu reveals Mulan and is like, a woman. (laughs) And the italics around the woman, right, in in that quote, I think really just show the disgust that Aaron has. He doesn't even say like, it was Asha. He says, the woman. Uh, Especially for trying to undo the patriarchal norms of the Ironborn and like even her whistle gets the word shrill assigned to it, which as we all know, that's a misogynistically coded word. Like, shrill? Shrill. Shrill is pretty misogynistic. Ask Amy Bruckheimer. Exactly. 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 They said you were sh- <laughs> shrill. Oh my what? god, is she an Amy? <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm thinking about Amy in those first. Wait, few but who's Selena? I, I don't know. She's, anyway, maybe she's both. Um. Anyways, uh, Euron, like you know, Euron gets a name, right? Like Euron, who sexually like assaulted and raped Aaron, gets a name, but Asha doesn't. And like, if anything's a farce, it's that you stole this from Asha because. You gave this stupid fucking parable last chapter, Aaron, about, like, a man gives his son the sword. What does that mean? Well, fucking Balin gave the sword and the fucking islands to Asha. fell on your deaf ears. And you know what? Great job. You crowned Euron because of it. I'm never going to let it go. You chose this, whether you think you chose it or not. Yeah. You did. Your non-action chose this. Congrats. You did this. You biffed it. <sighs> As she pushed past, the cheering died away. She was Balin Greyjoy's daughter, and the crowd was curious to hear her speak. It was good of you to bring such gifts to my queen's moot, Nuncle, she told Victorian. But you need not have worn so much armor. I promise not to hurt you. 
Asha turned to face the captains. There's no one braver than my uncle. No one stronger, no one fiercer in a fight. And he counts to ten as quick as any man. I've seen him do it, though when he needs to go to twenty, he does take off his boots. That made them laugh. He has no sons, though. His wives keep dying. The crow's eye is his elder and has a better claim. He does! She's right and she should say it, though. Ah, oh wait, this is the red oarsman shouted from below. Ah, but my claim is better still. She's right and she should say it. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah, so Ralph the Limper shouts that he only sees Balin's little daughter and she asks if she should show them her tits. She is a woman and they, and she's like, well, I'm a woman and you might not have seen any of those since you've been weaned to many of them. Got him. Got him. Yeah, and she goes burn. kind of, she goes kind of back and forth with them, right? Like she's uh, trying to earn their respect through these japes about her womanhood versus leading them versus them being like, fuck women. And she draws a dirk from her titty, which is very me-coded. I put things in my boobs at all times. All the time, I'm always putting shit in there, like, you know, squirrels in their mouths. Me with my tits. And she presents her suckling babe, and then her axe. And then she presents her champions. Carl the Maid, Christopher Botley, Harris Harlaw, who carries the Valyrian sword Nightfall, also fame, showing... Yeah, it shows legitimacy right to her cause that she too has a sword, not just house drum. Asha tells them they know her, but some of the men in the crowd are like, I want to know you better. And she's like, go the fuck home and know your wife. She tries to continue to make her speech without being interrupted by sexism for at least five seconds. And she offers them real freedom, not just being given widows from war or their families raped and murdered like when Robert came, not like what her not like what her father gave them in his rebellion. Lucas Cod's like, are you going to give us knitting? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to knit your ass a kingdom. We need to take a lesson from the young wolf, which everyone doesn't like. And Victorian's like, he's not a kraken. Which, again, I just want to call out that none of these speeches were up to de- for debate until now. Like, Victorian's speech, no one questioned it. No one had a Q&A section during it, right? Uh, the speeches before that, House Drum didn't get a Q&A section, so I don't know why Asha's speech is up for a Q&A section. Not sure why. I don't know if that has anything to do with who she is, personally, but there's something going on there where everyone else's speeches happened uninterrupted. I just can't put my finger on it. I just really, I really don't know. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I just really don't know. I wish I knew. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm. mm. We'll just never find out, you know. Just like we'll never find out what would have happened uh, after she offers them the both a stony shore and not just Boat Kalen, Deepwood Mott, Torn Square, and Winterfell. An avalanche of pebbles, an avalanche of pebbles comes forth. Smooth pebbles, gray and black, pine cones from Deepwood, and yellow turnips, the gold of Winterfell. She calls out that many had lost men at Winterfell for these riches, like Harmon's. Like Harmon Sharp's son, Herrig, for example. She says she'll give them land, Sea Dragon Point, Stony Shore, trees enough to build actual fucking halls. And the Northmen will be their friends and stand with them against the Iron Throne. Crown her for peace and for victory. 
or crown her nuncle, Revor, and defeat. She asks what they'll have, and Roderick shouts, Victory! Because, um, we love Uncle Roderick, even though he stole the place from his sister, but she never lets him forget. And Baylor Blacktide echoes, Asha! Asha Queen! Which is totally too bad, because he's really hot and he dies for that one, you know? Yeah. Gotta, gotta be sad about that. And they're shouting, they're stamping their feet, the people are speaking, they want Asha! So many fucking people are stomping their feet. Triss Botley, the Harlaws, the Good Brothers, even Lord Merlin. All of them are shouting for Asha fucking Greyjoy. Yeah. Honestly, Have you ever watched an election be stolen? Uh, yeah, it was called success. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it was called Sam Tarly and a kettle and some birds is what it was called. Honestly, you know, she gets pretty good support. That's why everyone's, like, in such a ruckus and everyone's getting ready to fight, right? Others, like, they hold their tongues and mutter to their neighbors, like, Victorian supporters, and then someone throws a pine cone and then everyone, like, at her head, right? Which, again, is part of the great imagery in this chapter. And then, like, everyone loses their shit after that. Um, Here's my random hot take. Not really hot take. Whatever. Aaron thinks that the Storm God is sowing discord. And I think he's thinking of Euron to take advantage of it all. But what if, what if Aaron's actually the one who's a Storm God? I mean, he did survive a storm, right? And he's the reason all this crazy shit is happening right now. Let's be real. No, I think there's, there's something in that. I'm going to revisit this because there's something in that. But, and maybe there's not, maybe there is. But, I mean, he did create the storm. He's the one running yes! around yelling for a king's moot and then saying, I won't support anyone and not using any of his ties to help get that support ready before him. Like, and then he's like mad that Euron gets elected. And I'm like, well, bitch. Like, I- anyway, but. What did you think was going to happen, sir? And I will say, like, this is why Asha's approach fails too, right? Asha fails. She relies on making a point using satire sarcasm and irony which i personally am all for but i'm also not the president of a people right <laughs> like i just want to put that out podcast. there yeah just i'm the president of the podcast but no oh, i'm just kidding uh but it does it's like it's what makes euron's mocking of her so infuriating that the point she's making is that we the ironborn are chasing the wrong thing but it flies over their heads, and Euron's like, aha, I have two moments to make Asha sound dumb and feeble, like she doesn't understand you and your failings. And there's even something in it about, like, you know, women wanting to be taken seriously as a fellow woman who makes inappropriate jokes all the time to cover up, like, I don't know, real-life conversation. Like, I do that all the time. Like, that's just who I am. And Asha has never been taken seriously, like, at her word for what she says. That's why the scene she has with Triss in her own chapters is so intimate and so vulnerable. It's such a good scene, even though we hate Triss. Or, like, mm. why her and Carl's scenes and her memories of him are so vulnerable. She doesn't get to be taken at that value of her word because she is a woman in this society. And it's unfair that the speeches preceding this got 100% attention. And her speech is the one that gets the jibes and the cat calls and... You know, the, the actions like no one's paying attention, the pine cone thrown at her head. No one dared throw a pine cone at Victorian, but her approach doesn't help. Like, these are a folk that don't understand that satire when they're in this heated moment. It doesn't help. There's something almost about that fire and that flashiness that's within her that reminds me a lot of her counterpart in this story, Ariane, 
right? Who are their father's heirs taking their destiny and agency back from men who want to do it with their style versus their style. And she misses the mark. Yeah. Yeah, she does. And then ends up becoming a prisoner. She's not in the tower, but she's like princess in the tower, kind of like Arianne. Mm-hmm. Even Aaron's kind of like Arian, Arian Yen. Oh, and I mean, crown maker, king maker, queen maker plots, and then it all blows up in their face, and then they're imprisoned. Um, but yeah, it is really sad. Like that Asha's approach doesn't work, and that Euron throws it all apart. Like you said, no one throws a pine cone at her head. Like. And no, that they throw a pine cone at her head. No one did it for fucking Gilbert, and that man, like everyone, thought that man was a joke, mm-hmm. right? Or for Drum, mm-hmm. no one like threw the bronze back at him and was like, "You fucking cheapskate." And she has just as much legitimacy. She has a Valyrian sword on her side. She has even more legitimacy. I mean, she has like she has ships, right? She has the Greyjoy name. Yeah, and- she's a fucking Greyjoy. Of course, she's better than House Drum or than Eric. She was literally the heir. <laughs> she was literally the heir, first of all. Balin intended for her to be the heir. And, you know, you were talking about, like, how how they all laugh at her, right? And I don't know that it's, like, a misstep, but I understand why it doesn't work. Like, her speech as opposed to kind of, as you said, right? She sells them on a real fucking campaign promise. Like, a real platform with a real policies that could work. But she also leans into the whole, like, roast aspect of it, right? And mm-hmm. there's a kind of, there's different ways that, like, social power and charisma can work, and especially when it comes to leadership. And there's a couple of, like, four traits that people talk about, but we'll simplify those to, like, competence and warmth. Other people use the use the, the framework of, like, presence, power, and warmth, whatever. But likability and social power, how much people like and respect you, right? Warmth is super important for people to trust you when it comes to trust as a leader, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have people perceive you as competent or as having authority. And sometimes people who like are seen as competent and have authority are seen as very cold and untrustworthy. I think an example of that is Stannis. And often women are relegated to the role of only having warmth, right? But it's very difficult for women to be perceived as having competence when it comes to leadership. They're not seen as authoritative as men, right? And humor is a way that you can you can get warmth when it comes to that social power, right? It's it's why you and I are so powerful. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's why we're so hot, so warm. <laughs> You're so sexy, stop. <laughs> Uh, or do we only think that I'm I'm laughing? I crack myself up. Uh, Are you making jokes you. in the sudden analysis that you had going on in order to you know, yes, provide and warmth and to make uh, connections with our audience and listenership? But especially, uh, honestly, sometimes it gets edited out. But I do shit just to see, just to get a rise out of you. <laughs> you know this. Oh my god! No, that's true though, and you know I think there's a but lot it's of true. We're you know powerful. for Aaron. Well, yeah, we're powerful, but no, I I think for Aaron especially, right, like, he faces this really difficult journey in what masculinity means to him and what Mm. his life has represented, right? So when you look at Asha, who's a woman who's allowed to speak at this great event in Naga's Bones with all this lore preceding it, you know, of course he couldn't dare to support her. Why would he? Oh, absolutely not. And that's actually interesting when you bring Aaron into this framework. He's 
he's seen as having both, I think. Partially the religion gives him some of that warmth, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously people seem as competent. Yeah, Asha Asha tries to do the warmth thing, right? She tries to show she's one of the guys with these jokes and that she can she can throw it back. They're great jokes. Good job. Great open mic night here at the King's Moot. Um <laughs> and again, the hard facts of like why you should vote for her. But I don't think it the jokes don't make people think that you have follow through or command and especially not in that ironborn culture. Like she doesn't command respect. Especially, especially because she's a woman, but she's also offering them peace, right? And the real life when a lot of the Ironborn have been taught over the millennia to to lust for glory and plunder, right? A good half of them, the ones who are not, I guess, marred by the Greenlands, um, they don't care that their wives and children are dying. They really, they really could give a shit. Like they're just like, whatever. I'll just capture and rape new ones. Like they yeah. want violence because like in the war and violence they get to exert power over like literally anyone else like fuck being a king on your own ship you can be a king fucking anywhere just mm -hmm. by taking the life of anyone like they want the glory not legacy or they've conflated the two because that's what their cultural narrative with the gray king who's like yeah i fucking killed a dragon and then like made a home out of it or something give and treat it um that's their that's their story and like you know, on one hand, I do wonder, like, if she had offered them more glory, if she had given, like, more language of glory, and maybe if she, like, had threatened the men, that could have definitely backfired on her, though, um, in a bad way. But if she had, like, threatened them instead of humiliating them, I wonder if that could have... It's a gamble. I wonder if it could have been successful. But it's it's not what she represents. But also, like, we see we see Aaron's disgust again, like, you know... as as you were calling out, like, at the end of her speech, because he's astounded. Language says again, he's like, I can't believe that they would cheer and in italics, like, for a woman! And it's clear why not. Like, Aaron, he doesn't even see Asha, like, as Balin's daughter, right? Victorianus, at least, like, was like, is she my sexual object, or is she Balin's little girl? Right? The only two things women can be for, for him. Like, for Aaron, women are essentially, like, socially equivalent to animals, and I think he needs that. Like, he desperately needs it to be that way because that way he's not at the bottom of the pyramid as, like, Euron's victim. A hundred percent that. That is how he tries to contextualize Asha in his life and how he contextualizes, like, rejecting her as a ruler. And I think there's a lot in her speech of how women must rule compared to men, right? How we must satiate men while also ruling with a strong fist where we're mm. the winners. I, I I love how much this encompasses it. But you can listen to our Asha chapters. They're done. All published Asha chapters at the time of 2023 <laughs> are out. And this is not Asha's chapter. This is Aaron Greyjoy's chapter still. So before Aaron could do something <laughs> real, a horn splits the air. Ah, one of Euron's mongrels blows the horn. He's a monstrous man with a shaved head, rings of gold and jade and jet glistening on his arms. His chest is tattooed with a bird of prey, the talons dripping blood, and the horn is shiny black, twisted, taller than a man, bound with bands of red gold and dark steel and ancient glowing Valyrian glyphs. I'm pretty sure this is a Cobra Kai character. Interesting. Um, Is this analysis? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was a wall of pain and fury that burnt the ears, and Aaron covers his own, wishing to smash the horn to silence. But it goes on and on. He wants to scream that it's the horn of hell, but no one would hear him. The man blowing the horn looks like he may burst, his muscles twitching, making his bird tattoo look like it might rip and fly off his body. Again, have to plug John Dies at the end, series of books. They have some crazy shit like that. Gotta recommend it. It rings and rings until it fills the whole wet world, and finally, it ends. The man staggers and almost falls, caught by Orkwood of Orkmont, while Lucas Cod takes the horn from him. Yes, smoke is rising from the horn. You know, Victorian gave us a little flashback of these, but anyways, and blood and blisters bloom from the man's lips. Even his chest tattoo is bleeding. Very metal. Uh, and Euron climbs the stage. You know, it's his turn that open mic night, standing at the doors of the Grey King's Hall, and turns his smiling eye to the crowd to address them. Euron begins to read them the talking points of his resume. He boasts his blood. First, he's the eldest son, eldest boy, <laughs> eldest son, living son of Quellen, with the blood of the Kraken and Lord Vicken. No one gives a shit about Lord Vicken in his veins. He boasts his travel. It's farther than any of you going east to go see wonders to sail to Ashai. You know, it would be better if Nicki Minaj was wrapping his resume. <laughs> I do think I was so. thinking that. I was thinking that, like, eldest living son of Quellen, like, 50k no album out. You know, like, I'm just yeah. waiting for it and waiting for it. You're on the mumble rapper. Is that something? I mean, he is a, hmm. he is a monster, right? Noted bloodsucker. Fat motherfucker. Now look who's in trouble. <laughs> Uh, that was his speech. That's so true. Carl the maid heckles the performance. He's like, go back to the shadow. But <laughs> you're on perseveres. And apparently this is what Gandalf says to the Balrog. I told you I had Lord of the Rings oh, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gandalf tells the Balrog to go back to the shadow. But Interesting. But here we are. Yeah, so little Lord of the Rings action coming back in. Interesting. He's- he then says his little brother would finish Balin's war. His sweet niece wants peace and pine cones, which isn't actually what she said. Fake news, false flag, but whatever. Uh, but the crow's eye has the best eye of them all, and that's what they call him, the crow's eye. He wants to give them exactly what they want, and he lays it on thick. Lannisport, Highgarden, the Arbor, Old Town, the Riverlands, the Reach, the Kingswood, the Rainwood, Dorne, the Marches, the Mountains of the Moon, the Vale of Arryn, the Stepstones. He wants to give them all of Westeros. And with a glance to Aaron, he adds on quickly, all for the glory of the Drowned God, to be sure. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Aaron is in shock. He has dreamed his dream. Big lame is. When first he'd seen the red comet in the sky, we shall sweep over the green lands with fire and sword, root out the seven gods of the septons and the white trees of the northmen. It's like, whoa, how did we have the same dream? Yo, hot take. Was this dream implanted by Euron? I'm just saying, I mean, maybe it's sick to say out loud, but truthfully, how much of Aaron's faith is actually attributed to Euron's manipulations in his dreams. Like, we know Euron can probably enter dreams. Was this a dream that was given to Aaron? That's so sad. 
I think after what we've been talking about with Victorian, I don't think it's out of the picture, right? That's like kind of how I feel. I feel like their lives are being puppeted by him. And and we do see, you know, Euron kind of inducing visions in a way. Spoiler, yeah. spoiler. So well, I mean, not he from forces, there, but yeah, he forces shade of the evening on Victorian. Let alone, we'll talk more in the Forsaken for patrons, but but. He he didn't, right? Victorian's like, I'm right. not getting dosed today. No, he spits it out of his mouth, but he definitely had it in his mouth. Let's be real. Like, you know that hits mm. still. Like, listen, if you put an acid tap no, under your tongue. It. But if you put it in your mouth, which he but did he for did a it. moment, he, it goes into he? your bloodstream within 60 seconds. He put it to his mouth until he realized it was it. I'm just saying, he probably had a little bit of a trippy night. Yeah, it's like when you if rub it, it touches on your, your gums, bloodstream. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes straight in there, dude. Not that Anyways, we've ever done drugs. Um, this podcast is drug-free. Thanks. All right. Listen, so the haters and the losers, Asha and Victorian, <laughs> call out that they probably can't do all this. And Euron's like, Aegon conquered, you fools. Why can't we conquer? And they're like, yo, Aegon had dragons. But then guess what? Euron's like, we're going to have dragons too. Because my fancy horn is from Valyria. It's named Dragon Binder, and it's used to bind dragons to your cause. And Euron's like, there are dragons back in our world, right? Whether the haters and the losers want to believe me or not. And he's going to give these dragons to the Iron Men for the glory of the Drowned God. Do you hear me? Yeah, honestly, how did everyone believe him so quickly about the dragons? That actually... thoughts. That actually kind of makes me, like, suspend, I don't know, disbelief a little. Because a lot of people are like, uh, no, there aren't any fucking dragons in Westeros all the time. Yeah, and they get, like, crazy about it, right? Like, there's shouts of, like, you're on, you're on, king! And the mutes and the mongrels throw up in his chest, and that doesn't discourage them, right? Because it's full of gold and various fun goodie bag things, right? Like, this is what the celebrities go to award shows and come back with, but these are just normal, innocent men, so they're all like, yay, we get the stuff, like real humans. Uh, the captains and the kings are, like, shouting his name and they're filling their hands with gold and the shouts are rolling up Naga's hill like the storm god rattling the clouds. Yeah, you make you make the king's mood sound like the Met Gala. I mean, it kind of is. I'm not. It's saying the it's not. Ironborn Met Gala. Yeah, I kinda, mean, actually, I mean, I would throw a pine cone at your head. I mean, <laughs> Victorian's very dressed up, so <laughs> even uh, a priest may doubt, even a prophet may know terror. Aaron Greyjoy reached within himself for his God and discovered only silence. As a thousand voices shouted out his brother's name, all he could hear was the scream of a rusted iron hinge. Oh, that line, I've only found silence, basically as a god. Yo, it's dark, isn't it? This is what you wrought. This is the ironborn that you wrought. Oh, oh, hey. You know, like wrought iron? Hey, get yeah, it? I did. I got it. Thank I you. got it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank God you're here to validate me. Yeah. That's devastating. It's literally devastating that he did nothing and got nothing as a result. He should have taken it for himself or crowned Asha. But like, if he really didn't want want Asha, I mean, you want something done right, Aaron? You gotta do it yourself. Hey, we come back to what we said last week about Amen, right? And mm. not taking it in his whole legacy downfall, and that's happening here. And 
All right, I want to talk about Dragonbinder real quick because we talked about Dragonbinder a little bit during Victarian's chapters. So maybe we're going to cross over with Victarian here. Uh, I have to say, but it seems like bullshit. Like, Dragonbinder seems like bullshit right off the bat. We've seen Targaryens and they've never needed a horn to bond with their dragons. So with their bond usually coming from like birth or intimacy and vulnerability as a child, right? Having an egg in your cradle, for example, that certain intimacy to bonding with the egg. Maybe Euron thinks this is a cheat code to get a dragon, but I don't know. All that we've seen of the horn so far is that it burns this dude up and makes his tattoo bleed. It... I'm starting to think that this horn is really going to do something else or nothing at all, right? Like the horn of Joramin in the north is the real big bad horn boy that's going to do real mm-hmm. things, maybe bring down the wall. But all we've seen this horn do is kill people. And also we've seen this horn have people agree to do its whims. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like a, not a possessed kind of thing, but I don't know, like a... You know, you're attracted to the element, you're attracted to the totem, you want to do the totem's bidding. Like, this man erupts his body while blowing on the horn, and the Ironborn keep cheering while this guy bleeds in front of them, and they're cheering and cheering for Euron. Like, maybe the term dragonbinder is kind of loose here. Like, is it more of like an enslaving tool? Because dragons are no slave is the first thing that it makes me think about. But like, I mean, they blew the horn and now all these guys are cheering for Euron including guys that were cheering for Asha and Victorian. That's actually really interesting now that now that you like put it together like that. First I want to throw out there this idea that is George gardening the horn because I had recently heard that maybe like, you know, the glass dra- the glass candles, he didn't really know what he was doing with it and had a couple different directions he wanted to go before he settled on one. So mm. like when he wrote this, I'm not convinced George knew yet. He was just laying seeds. But second, like what you're saying about the enslaving is super interesting. It reminds me and like people becoming susceptible to that person's whims because, you know, George came up as a writer during the time of writers like Asimov, right? It makes me think of characters with powers kind of like the mule who had the ability to influence people's emotions at a large scale and kind of like fucked up the entire course of Harry Seldon's grand plan. Yeah, think about mutants, right? George came up in that Marvel Universe kind of era for comics. And then I think about a lot of his dream songs. Uh, the different stories and dream songs and some of the totems that represent themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in Dragonbinder for that purpose. I don't think it's really to bind dragons necessarily and I don't think it's going to get it's day against dragons. Like, I don't, I, I mean, imagine blowing that at Drogon and what would happen. What do you think would happen if you blew that horn in Drogon's face? I think he'd be like, I don't know, cool story, bro. I do think Euron will, he do, might do. get a dragon. Like, I don't think it's out of the question, but you're right that I mm-hmm. don't know the horn has to do anything with it. If it does, I think it's an enslaving device. And, you know, this is maybe a little posthumous. Like, this is maybe like, I should have brought it up during Victorian, but I was thinking about horns in literature, right? And Shakespeare loved horns, but he loved them to signify cuckoldry. Okay, left field, right? Like, I know I just took you on a turn right there. Mm-hmm. But think about, like, Much Ado Nothing. 
Much Ado About Nothing, right? Where Don Pedro is like, in time, the savage bull doth bear the yoke. And we see men get horns sprouting from their head when their wife has cheated on them. Mm-hmm. And Euron has given Victorian this oh. horn. A cuckolded man will grow horns on his head that he cannot see, but everyone else can see. Very much representing the cuckoldry. And then that Euron gave him this deadly horn that's going to bring about some sort of fate or some sort of prophecy or some sort of event. Some sort of binding and slavery. Uh, I don't know. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, because George has played with that before too, right? Even with Cersei mm-hmm. and Robert. The boar. Um, you know, she's, she wants him horned, right? The boar, but also the, the stag is a horned, I mean, the stag is literally mm-hmm. a horned creature, right? And that is something he was he was playing with. So I, I yes. like the that alternate, subtle, like, interpretation of the horn as that sort of symbol as well. And, and that could become, like, a very literal manifestation somehow. But totally still agreed. not yet sure how. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll find out in the far winds of winter. The far winds of winter. <laughs> it's oh, pretty. Eliana. It feels far off. I'm gonna be real. It, it's been far. It's been a long time. My crops are not watered. You know, my skin is dry. If we started worrying about it, then you all should worry. Is all I'm saying. Like we're not worried about it, so you shouldn't be either. It'll come when it comes. No, I, I've I've been worrying it for years. We're the two different sides, <laughs> the two, the two genders. <sighs> I'm so excited that we have finished Aaron. Oh, it's actually kind of sad. I'm not trying to get weird about it, but we have, we only have like a handful or so of chapters left. We're at what, like six, seven? We don't have a lot of chapters, POV wise, left. We have a lot of chapters left. Yeah, we've we got a couple of years of chapters left, left but. We're getting towards the last leg of our journey. We're hoping that there will be chapters out for us. The last tentacle, there will be more chapters to come. We don't know how we're going to handle that out loud to you all yet. It'll come when it comes, and we'll be happy when it happens. And we're glad you're here for the ride until then. Absolutely. And if you want to keep up when those with when our episodes come out, because... Such a good segue. Or a little loosey-goosey right now. You can find out on social media by following us on twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, or you can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to us on a platform where you get all of your podcasts, whether that's at our Patreon, whether it's at Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Audible, Amazon, or many of the other places you can download our podcast on. Please check those out. I appreciate that you like put in the effort to try and name them for me and not for Emmett. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> leave my roommate out of this. <laughs> so uh, another place that you can definitely always find us is on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where patrons in the $5 tier and above get access to bonus episodes because this is not, in fact, the final Aaron chapter. There is one more, and it is the best Aaron chapter. I'm not going to lie. It might be one of the best chapters in general. This is not be me being, like, sarcastic. It is... Nah, it's true. It is... It is one of the wildest A Song of Ice and Fire chapters, so don't miss it. Totally agreed. It's worth the $5 subscription. 
Again, check that out, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. We can't wait to have you back in July when we cover Melisandre 1 in A Dance with Dragons before we move on then again to a new POV. Such an exciting summer. I hope yet your summer is popping off and that you're having a blast and things are good. Thanks for listening. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. The drowned girl gone canon. Get it? Because it's the drowned man. Bless her with salt. Bless her with water. Bless her soul. Goodbye. Goodbye.